doesn't it go even beyond that? At least engaged, socially engaged Buddhism would possibly include uh, nonviolent direct action uh, to uh, try and, you know, uh, for example, it worked with nuclear power and it's, it had some success to prevent the development of, of nukes, for example, and testing and all that, bomb testing. In other words, for religious people, including Buddha, try and have some influence on the politicians in this country. See, the, the reputation that uh, Buddhism has, on, unfortunately, in this country, I don't think it's deserved, is that it's, it's pretty much, it becomes quietism in people's minds. And so, at one extreme, the self-immolation, but I mean, short of that, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, powerful ways in which we can join the, you know, the life, uh, daily life of uh, political system that unfortunately rules our whole sway. Uh, I think uh, would it, um, these uh, problems have to be approached from various angles. Uh, uh, Buddhists themselves have to uh, uh, participate in these things from various ways. Some <clears throat> may like to be active uh, politically and uh, go out and uh, talk and uh, persuade people not to do. Others uh, make them uh, sit and meditate and uh, get direct to their mind you know, in a very forceful way, uh, practicing loving-kindness and uh, so forth. Uh, it appears to be a very quiet uh, approach, but very positive, very powerful approach. And the other one um, sometimes can end up in some uh, misunderstanding, violence. Mm -hmm. uh, all many peace uh, movements uh, sometimes end up with uh, violence. So they should be combined in some way. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm Right. Mm -hmm. So these are two different, two approaches mm -hmm. to the same problem. Mm -hmm. So we cannot uh, 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 criticize or condemn one for uh, making their uh, mm -hmm. approach the way, think, with the way that uh, they think best they approach the problem. And so we have to, these two are complementary to each other rather than uh, mm. diametrically opposed to each other. Now we come to the last, that, uh, that may be the beginning of the next topic, uh, meditation. I think it's a very uh, good way to blend into the second uh, topic, uh, meditation. Meditation is such a vast subject that uh, uh, I might not be able to give you even uh, uh, the bird-eye view of uh, the subject within this short time. Uh, first of all, before I start talking about meditation, uh, once again I like to ask you all whether you have any questions related to meditation. Perhaps uh, uh, when I answer uh, your questions, 
uh, I can touch upon uh, certain uh, salient factors of meditation. Uh, if I were to give a talk on meditation uh, as such, uh, I may not touch all the uh, questions that you may have related to it. Do you have any question? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's sort of a just a little technical question. Sure. But um, I thought one of the effects of meditation would be the um, uh, you know this uh, sense of unity. That is to say that there is no separation. That you feel no separation. But um, recently, I've been feeling um, that indeed a separation between um, my body and, for lack of a better word, I'll just call self or identity, that I feel um, um, that my body becomes like a shell and there's a sense of um, my moving around in it. Do you know what I mean? And so that it feels, it feels as if it's a, or it could feel like a very loose cloak, that it's not, so I don't feel like me in the ordinary sense of me as I'm sitting here now and using my hands, I feel very, very different. And I thought that that, uh, um, I don't know, it just seems sort of like an oddity. I don't know what that is. Mm. Meditation uh, certainly uh, brings us uh, the awareness of uh, uh, commonality, universality of uh, our existence. Mm -hmm. In uh, Vipassana meditation, uh, particularly, there is uh, in the, that sutra that we use called uh, Mahasatipatthana Sutra, uh, we uh, are supposed to, according to that sutra, we are supposed to uh, compare ourselves with others. Uh, the comparison, of course, we do all the time. You know, individually, we do compare ourselves with others. Uh, in the mundane, ordinary level, everybody does that comparison. Uh, that they may not say it out loud, but in their mind, they have this, this comparison. They may say, uh, I am uh, so and so, I have such and such, my wealth is such and such, my appearance is such and such, my education is such and such, or I have so many such and such things, so and so has so many such and such things, so and so appears like that, and so and so does such and such, so and so's education is such and such, and so forth and so on. We make this comparison all the time. That is not the kind of comparison we are supposed to do. That comparison is called uh, the measuring. For the measuring in Pali uh, is called mana. Mana, uh, uh, the thing that we use to measure also is called mana. And the act of measuring is called mana too. That means we always compare ourselves with others. 
that increases our separation, individuality, rather than uniting us. So I keep uh, increasing my ego, uh, comparing with others. I can do such and such, okay, so and so cannot do such and such. I can do such and such, so and so can, uh, better than so and so. Oh, I, so and so does things better than I do. And so forth. All the time, in many, many hundred of different ways, we compare ourselves. And that comparison is, uh, uh, comp comparison divides us into various small, small fractions. In Vipassana meditation, we are supposed to make another kind of comparison to bring us to one uh, unity. And that is the true comparison. Uh, nobody can make any mistake in that. It is perfectly 100% true. That is, when I uh, breathe in and out, I, I understand my breathing process fully well, everything about my breathing, and then I compare. So-and-so also is breathing. So-and-so's breathing process is exactly like mine. What my breathing process does to this body and mind, does the, the, the same thing does to the other person's breathing process to that person's body and mind. When I breathe uh, my internal respiration, external respiration, exchange oxygen with carbon dioxide, and everybody else's internal respiration and external respiration does the same thing. Every time I breathe in and out, every part of my body changes. Everything, without any exception every tiny little minute particles of the cells, of my body's cells, changes. My mind changes. My feeling changes. My perception changes. Bodily function changes. Everything changes every second. All the time. Similarly, other person's bodily function, bodily feeling, perceptions, all these are changing the same way. Therefore, they and me are one. There's no difference. That kind of uh, uh, comparison is very strongly uh, recommended in uh, Vipassana meditation tradition. And therefore, what you feel uh, you are one with everybody and no separation is a very true feeling, real feeling, because we all in that respect are one. Close of whatever length of time they're together, 
Do they say to you that they feel more connected to those around them, even though it isn't a strong social intercourse and change, but rather a feeling of, as you said, a oneness with the universe, with others, with Is the common response to this, if you were to ask people, or if they were to comment to you, uh, would they say that I feel more at one with human beings, with others, more aware of them, more sensitive to them? In fact, uh, that is exactly what uh, we expect the meditators to feel. Some may not express it verbally, but they do really experience that. When we talk to them uh, personally, asking them these questions directly, this is exactly what they say although they may not volunteer to make this expression. It's exactly the feeling that I've come away with. Right. I've never had this type of a mm-hmm. experience before, but it's exactly what Right. When people um, uh, meditate their experiences, they may have a variety of experiences. Some of them are related to their previous conditioning. Uh, aside those previous conditions, taking all these previous conditioning away, what they really experience from uh, true practice of meditation is the same. They are feeling, they are perceptions, they are understanding, their experience would be the same. Are there developmental stages to meditating? Excuse me? Are there developmental stages to meditating? That is, you meditate longer and longer, that that the meditation changes in certain ways. Yes, of course, uh, there are various stages of meditation, uh, as there are various uh, uh, ways of meditation. There are two... uh, primary methods of meditation. One is called uh, tranquility method, the other is called insight method. Uh, Tranquility method, as the word itself suggests, tranquilizes the body and mind. Ultimate result of tranquility meditation is to gain absorption concentration, to be with one with the object. Mind becomes so absorbed in the object the meditator uh, gains uh, very deep uh, concentration and that is called tranquility meditation. Even that has stages. There are eight stages of such meditation. They are called uh, jhanas. The word uh, Zen comes from that word jhana. Jhana is Pali, uh, Jhana is Sanskrit. Chinese Cha'an, Japanese Zen. So when uh, one follows that uh, tranquility meditation method, meaning uh, concentration, absorption, concentration, meditation method, the result is that. 
result is attaining those absorption state which go which are called jhanas eight are there in number the other method is called uh, uh, inside meditation which is more uh, analytical and more uh, subtle deep and uh, uh, profound which uh, takes deep root in the mind and um, various psychic irritants will be uh, not only suppressed temporarily but eliminated totally from the mind and mind remains uh, uh, pure and mind returns to its uh, natural original pure uh, luminous state you said various what are eliminated i didn't hear you psychic irritants you know various type of sometimes we call them uh, uh, defilements so these are the uh, two methods in uh, tran- just like in tranquility meditation in uh, uh, inside meditation also there are stages which i casually mentioned uh, this morning and yesterday uh, first stage second stage third stage fourth stage uh, they have their names first stage is called stream entry second stage is called uh, uh, once returning returner uh, stage third stage is called never returner fourth stage is called uh, perfect or pure uh, or arahant in pali now uh, these two methods are uh, related to each other not totally separate because um, one can start with tranquility meditation and um, end up with uh, insight meditation another may start with insight meditation and end up in tranquility meditation the third person can uh, combine these together and that in pali is called yuganadda that means one uh, attains tranquility state and then later on uh, before going to the highest uh, attainment uh, the person will come to a state where the mind is very restless cannot focus the mind on the on an object cannot gain concentration then the person since he, the person still is interested in the practice will switch on to more uh, active state that is insight meditation to observe um, many things happening to the person tranquility meditation is uh, sometimes uh, uh, appears to be uh, simple and easy but it is extremely difficult because it needs great deal of concentration one has to spend time in one place sitting focusing the mind on one object very very long t- for long long time and that is very difficult say how when you try to sit even for one hour see how difficult it is 
Therefore, tranquility meditation is not that uh, uh, easy. Uh, but uh, um, inside meditation, not only easy but uh, more practical, anytime, anywhere, in any posture, or um, on any subject, one can practice inside meditation. Therefore, inside meditation is becoming more and more popular. Tranquility meditation, uh, although people try to practice tranquility meditation, afterwards they find it extremely difficult. Difficult uh, uh, particularly to gain uh, expected uh, states of jhanas, absorption state. Um, I come from a place where um, there's a great deal of emphasis on meditation as a means of making oneself available to enlightenment. I shouldn't say that I come from I've also done, and, and um, I've been practicing Zen for not quite a year. And, um, and at the same time, you know, it really is also, I think, uh, it's of course a paradox, you know, that um, it's not, you know, you don't meditate for any purpose. Or, um, so what is the relationship between meditation and enlightenment? There's, uh, I have to um, uh, uh, disagree with what you said. <laughs> There's a definite purpose of meditation. If somebody... Uh, this is one of the uh, misconceptions of meditation. Of course, if you read my book, uh, there are a lot of misconceptions I have mentioned. One of the misconceptions is that uh, uh, meditation is just aimless sitting just for the sake of sitting. That is not true. We all have to have a goal in mind, a goal, a place, aim, to reach. But we should not make a timetable to attain that goal, thinking that today I will attain this, tomorrow I will attain this, and there tomorrow that, and so forth. No time schedule. But the, there has to be a definite goal. The goal is to free our mind from all kind of psychic irritations. Uh, there are ten, uh, three primary psychic irritations, uh, and out of these three, uh, others come, others develop. And therefore there are altogether ten psychic irritations, which are called fetters. Total elimination of these fetters to reach the pure state of mind, free from psychic irritation, is the purpose of especially inside meditation. And that is what we call the attainment of enlightenment. These three, these steps leads there. And when one reaches the highest stage of meditation, one would realize these steps 
perfectly uh, clearly. Uh, for instance, we said in the <coughs> Four Noble Truths, the first one is our unsatisfactoriness, pain, suffering, uh, and so forth. Uh, the purpose of meditation is to get rid of that pain, that uh, unsatisfactoriness from our mind, free ourselves from that. To do that we have to understand the cause of it and that is the second truth. So the purpose of meditation is to realize the cause of unsatisfactoriness and the third is to eliminate it. That is the third aspect. And the fourth is the way to follow a method to eliminate that, that uh, cause of unsatisfactoriness. And that is a precise method of meditation, what you call aim of meditation. Um, Buddhist meditation system is um, uh, well, very well developed for, over the past 2500 years, uh, tested by time, by practice, by millions of people, by following, practicing, tested. And um, they all have only one goal, that is to liberate ourselves from pain and suffering. It may not happen all of a sudden, but that is another part of uh, the Dhamma. The result is immediate, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, Akalika. That means as we practice, we experience the result. To the degree and extent we practice, we to that degree and extent we experience the result. So, inside meditation therefore is a non-stop, continuous, 24-hour uh, practice. Whether we are sitting, standing, walking, lying down, talking and uh, eating, drinking, answering the call of nature and uh, whatever we do, in all these situations we have to remain alert, mindful, to understand what exactly is happening. When we uh, become aware of uh, the things that happen to us, we are not very much concerned about what is happening in the world. That is one difference between this meditation and many other systems. What is happening in the world becomes crystal clear in our mind when we realize what is happening within us to us. Because we and the world are no more, no, not two different things. What we experience is what is over there. And part of it is in our own mind. So therefore we represent the sum total of the entire world. Each and every person has his or her own small world. That is a small fraction, the cross-section of the whole world. And therefore if one, if I understand what I have in me, in this mind and body, uh, I would have understood everything in the world. <coughs> therefore, this constant constant, continuous awareness of what is happening to me, within me, 
leads me to the to that realization of truth liberating myself from uh, this psychic irritants or irritations these psychic irritations uh, partly uh, created by me in my own mind and partly uh, conditioned by the things externally and when these two function together combine together i uh, experience them so i always watch they are happening in me within me as a part of me and see them changing one uh, uh, unmistakable uh, occurrence that we all experience is the change we all experience change and keep watching the changes taking place within us all the time while listening while talking while eating drinking whatever activity we are engaged in we experience change impermanence and that leads us to the realization of the fact that nothing is permanent when we realize that nothing is permanent there is nothing for us to grasp hold on to anchor ourselves into as long as we don't realize that we think well i will be anchored in such a, on such and such thing at such and such place on such and such idea such and such belief such and such situations and we keep trying to hold on to trying to anchor ourselves cling to those things and next moment they are they are gone disappear and we are left behind without any any support anything hold on to now when we are aware of this we will not be uh, left helpless because we anticipate it when we approach uh, life's uh, experiences with anticipation with uh, knowledge with awareness uh, when that expected thing happens we are ready there to accept it if something happens um, all of a sudden unexpectedly we will be shocked therefore sometimes i call this uh, inside meditation a uh, training is um, building up a shock absorber <laughs> into life uh, we when we you drive you know when you don't have proper shock absorber every tiny pothole makes it very hard on you but uh, if you have a good shock absorber you can drive on even on little uh, uneven rough roads with degree of comfort the life is uh, full of such uh, potholes ups and downs nothing is smooth <coughs> therefore if we build this system within ourselves with awareness with mindfulness with caution knowing what to expect where certain things happening then when we when that happens we are perfectly ready to absorb it accept it go along with it 
There are certain things that we cannot change in life. There are certain things that change in life, we cannot do anything about it. When we realize, when we uh, practice uh, or mindfulness, uh, insight, we know the difference between these two, which we can change, which we cannot. And also, when changes take place sometimes, when we experience <coughs> certain things, very beautiful, very pleasant. We don't want that to change. We want it to remain forever. Unfortunately, they are not within our command because we are not their masters. They change despite of our wish, intention, expectation, desires. They change. When certain things are unpleasant, we want them to change very quickly. That also doesn't happen. They change in their own pace, in their own way. So on the one hand, when we are unaware of uh, the reality, the truth, we want certain pleasant, beautiful things not to change. Even if they change, we want them to change slowly, you know, not very quickly. When we know certain things uh, we don't like, we want them to change very quickly and they don't change as quickly as we want them to change because they change at the same speed as the good thing changes. So the speed of change of both good and evil, pleasant and unpleasant, uh, is the same. And we have, if we are aware of it, we accept the both with the same state of mind, with the same um, attitude, same expectation and go along with it, whether pleasant arises or unpleasant arises. We treat both equally. That way, uh, we don't try to run away from those real things, but rather run into them. Uh, we don't try to sweep them under the rug, but, they, but we bring them to the, to the open and face them face to face directly. That way not only can we live the life uh, uh, more comfortably, uh, peacefully, more realistically, but also we experience some insight and we grow uh, insightfully, we mature uh, our, uh, in, in, a, in a spiritual as well as uh, uh, in a insightful uh, manner. And therefore this practice is called practice of awareness, is called uh, insight meditation. And Buddha said uh, very uh, positively about a lot of things about it. He said, uh, when we say this some people, some of you may perhaps be shocked to hear this because uh, this is the statement uh, that has been made by many, many people in many, many areas. The Buddha said, this is the only way. 
She said that, that phrase you, have, you must have heard. The only way. When he said only way, he meant something very special. You see, only way means uh, when you are mindful, aware, uh, alert, you don't make mistakes. When you are uh, mindful, you are cautious, you know what is happening, you are fully aware. There's nothing wrong in that. So that awareness, that mindfulness, that insight uh, makes you happy. Therefore to make yourself happy, you have to cultivate this insight. That is the only way to make you happy. Not blind, uh, blindly accepting something or blind rejecting something uh, or surrendering yourself to something without knowing what you are surrendering to, but uh, full, total awareness, total mindfulness makes you happy. You know what you do and you are ready to accept the consequences. And that makes you happy. Atma buddhi sukhandeti. That means when you do something with wisdom, with understanding, with awareness, with mindfulness, that particular thing brings you happiness. If you do things unmindfully, not knowing what you do, just uh, for the sake of uh, doing or making us uh, on the spur of moment decisions, uh, later on you may regret. And therefore, in this particular sense, Buddha said, this is the only way to make us happy, reduce our uh, psychic irrita irritations, uh, uh, bring us to the uh, to realization of the truth. From the day he attained enlightenment until he passed away, he emphasized this because he uh, he respected human intelligence, their wisdom, and they say he said uh, uh, it has been. Uh, uh, made blunt, it has not been used properly. Therefore he said, use your intelligence, your wisdom, and cultivate it more for that, so that you can handle your own life's problems. To handle um, our own life's problems, we have to have a clear state of mind, pure state of mind. And all these things that I mentioned, uh, are not just mere theories. They all are related to this very particular practice of awareness, of mindfulness, of uh, insight. Therefore that is the second aspect of meditation which uh, we always try to uh, promote. We never want anybody to uh, uh, believe in it, but uh, we want 
people to understand it first before they start putting it into practice. Try to understand it by thinking, reading, discussing and uh, listening. Try to understand. When you understand, you will see, ah, this is what I should do. If you don't understand, until you do under, don't understand, don't start practicing it. So does this mean that um, going through these four different, mm, you know, the, the suffering or the unsatisfactory and discovering the cause of the, the um, unsatisfactory feelings or the suffering, um, and then when you get down to the state that you, or when you reach the state that you talked about, mm-hmm. um, is, is that simply a state of non-clinging or non Exactly, exactly. And that is our goal. <clears throat> when we have a goal, <clears throat> we have to have a plan to reach the goal, the, the certain method to reach the goal. And this is the, the method to reach that goal. It is just like uh, when you want to drive to New York from here, you have to have a road map. Uh, if somebody thinks, well, uh, uh, I know New York well, I have a car, I simply drive. Of course he can have a good skill of driving and have money to pay for gas and so forth and may have a good car. If he does not know the road, he may end up somewhere, <coughs> definitely, but not New York. <laughs> One who knows all this, the road, the, the skill, other necessary things and drive, he reaches New York very comfortably, easily. Similarly, we all have to have a goal. Keeping that goal in mind, we don't have to rush, uh, take it easy, take uh, one step at a time and be fully aware of that step, master that step and then go to the next step until you reach the goal. For that we have to have a... The, the map is the theory. Unconfused, clear-cut, direct theory. If any confusion comes into the theory, we have to think about it and find out something is wrong with the theory. Let me do more research. And you f- discover something is wrong, so eliminate that. And then start doing more research until you are fully confident that the theory is right and then put it in practice. Never go wrong. This seems to imply to me that uh, thought has no limits, that we can solve all of our problems and uncertainties by thinking or studying. Is that true? Uh, Not necessarily, (coughs) but mere thinking, if we try to solve problems, 
perhaps that may not be a way to solve problems. We need thinking too, uh, but we have to put the thinking into action. That means follow what we uh, come to, uh, what we realize from our thinking. Certainly thinking uh, has no limit. One can think until one goes crazy. <laughs> no, no limit. But uh, we have to have right thinking and limit our actions to that right thinking and eliminate all wrong thinking. One should be able to distinguish between right thinking and wrong thinking. Wrong thinking is the thinking that will uh, confuse life, confuse issues, make things difficult, painful, unsatisfactory to oneself, to others and both. Right thinking makes things clear, direct, perfect and brings good to oneself, to others as well as to both. And therefore we have to make the distinction between these two types of thinking and uh, avoid as far as possible wrong thinking, confused thinking, <coughs> because wrong thinking, for instance, if one were to think of the beginning of the universe, one will never come to an end, come to a, a real conclusion. conclusion. But in the question of these, uh, of this understanding of the teaching and of the Dhamma, that's the context that that you said we should not proceed. I thought I understood you to say that we should not proceed or practice until we thoroughly understand it, and that thinking and studying was the way to do that. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, you have to have some degree of understanding. You may not be able to understand everything until you put into practice. Okay. You have to have <laughs> some degree of understanding. And with that degree of understanding we begin. And then more and more thought may come as we practice. And as we put our thought into practice we will realize some thoughts are not practical. We eliminate them and uh, others are practical, we practice them. And then more thoughts will come. And we follow the same procedure, uh, what you call elimination process. <laughs> that is, unwholesome, <just, laughs> we eliminate them. Practice them. Of course it is, I don't mean that we have to <laughs> sit in one place and think and think and think and think until we realize. Realization comes from the partly from thinking, partly from practice. Uh, a lot of people in this country, particularly in this country, I think, practice, begin meditation practice before they know very much about uh, the real, um, the, have an overview of the teaching. In my case, that was true. Mm-hmm. You know, that also is, in a way, uh, good without uh, just uh, not doing it at all, instead of not doing at all. Also one cannot wait until uh, uh, all problems are solved, uh, all difficulties are overcome, uh, 
uh, one, if one wait until all these things are over, one would never meditate. <laughs> eh? Such a person would be like a person who goes to a seashore and waits for the sea to become calm for him to have a swim. He will never swim, <laughs> because sea will never become calm. Life is like that. Life has all sorts of problems, all sorts of misunderstanding, confusions. And if uh, a family man may think, well, I have a wife, I have a children, I have, to, I have responsibility to them, I have to do this, that, uh, bank loan, credit cards, and buy and sell, and I finish all of them, and one day I will sit and meditate. <laughs> It will never happen. Is there a bhakti, a devotional side uh, to Theravada Buddhism? Oh, certainly, definitely. Would you say something? Like yes. That? Devotional side is called uh, Sadda. Sadda means uh, we can translate it as faith or confidence. Confidence arises from experience. One starts with a certain thing and uh, see the result. From that one gains confidence and then practice more and gain more confidence and practice more and gain more confidence. So as one goes on practicing one's uh, confidence increases. And that confidence is called uh, uh, Sampasadana Sadda. Sampasadana means uh, uh, cleansing, uh, clearing uh, function of confidence. Confidence uh, cleans the mind. Becomes, For instance, um, my very favorite uh, example is uh, uh, mathematics. When you do a mathematical, take, take a mathematical problem, you try to, try to solve it. And you try and try and try and try, use all kind of uh, uh, theorems. And finally, you solve the problem. Then you will be very glad. You have confidence in yourself, you can have confidence in the method, confidence in your approach, and confidence in the results. So you think, well, I can do mathematics. You go to the next problem and so forth and so on. Similarly, in uh, the Buddha's uh, method, he first asks uh, people, uh, of course people have to have a certain degree of confidence to begin with. To start anything, we must have a certain degree of faith. And therefore faith is called uh, bija. Bija means seed. He said, saddha bijam. Faith is the a seed. From that seed, everything slowly grows. Uh, therefore, that's a very important aspect. And that comes naturally, uh, that, that uh, grows naturally, becomes a very uh, full-fledged force in the practice when we gain uh, results. Is chanting practice important? Chanting also important. Um, I think I mentioned even yesterday in our casual discussion, uh, chanting is one of the five ways of attaining enlightenment. You know, provided 
we chant with understanding, understanding of the meaning of what we chant. If we just parrot it, it may not have that much effect. It may have certain psychological effect to calm us, you know, in, in, increase our um, devotion. Besides that, it does not uh, uh, increase our insight to uh, free ourselves from uh, psychic irritations. <clears throat> um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the state of non-clinging. Mm-hmm. Um, and that um, when, you, when you say that, there, that the Buddha said there was only one way, because there's no alterna- the only alternative to non-clinging is clinging. And the only result of clinging is suffering. So the only way out would be non-clinging. But um, and in this non-clinging state, which is um, often a state of of at oneness and a state of rapture, how can one actually? A friend of mine said that that there are such things as enlightened beings who always reside in this particular state, and I don't understand how that's possible. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I would think that even that state of non-clinging would be an impermanent state. Or maybe not. No. There's some people who actually live out of that state? Yes. Uh, not be, you mean non-clinging state? Yeah. Yeah, sure. They stay, they stay in that state, non-clinging state. Mm. Uh, once the clinging aspect is uh, totally exhausted, totally exhausted, mm-hmm. then what is left is not clinging. And that is not impermanent. So that's the only permanent thing, then? That's the only clinging. permanent thing. Impermanence comes from clinging, grasping, holding on to. And um, uh, of course, things are impermanent, then clinging uh, of impermanent thing as permanent makes life more painful. Therefore, when one realizes that uh, all are impermanence and that knowledge, vision, understanding, awareness of impermanence, when it becomes 100% clear in one's mind, that individual has nothing in the world to cling to. And that is the permanent state in that individual's attainment. That is not only possible, probable, but that is clear. <laughs> you mean there are people alive who actually live in a non-clinging state? Surely people alive, people live, until their lifespan is over. Then they will uh, blow like a flame of a candle. And they'll never be reborn again. They will never be reborn again. And that, in fact, is the end of this second cycle <laughs> of repetition of birth and death. Is that that second <coughs> cycle would, would then be the twelve-link chain? Right. Yeah. Right. For those of us who are going to be probably reborn again. <laughs> you know, even that <coughs> those of who, those of us who are uh, probably be reborn, 
uh, will not be reborn into woeful states of existence, painful, more painful state of existence than now. Uh, we may be, because of our um, awareness, our practice and making tremendous effort to overcome these uh, psychic irritations, as a result of all these positive, wholesome, noble activities, we may be reborn in few lives in a very, very peaceful, very happy state of existence. I thought you could go backwards, though. You can go backward. <laughs> of course, uh, this karma uh, uh, and rebirth uh, uh, process is not uh, unidirectional. <laughs> it is multidirectional. It is not like uh, Darwinian theory. In Darwinian theory, it's only unidirectional. It means you always evolve from something, go higher, higher and higher and higher, no matter what you do. That's a natural biological process. But the uh, law of action and reaction or karma uh, tells us that uh, that is not that is not always true because uh, the things unexpected different new things happens and therefore uh, unexpected results can take place uh, one may go zigzag here and there no one knows and that uh, diversion uh, the the what you call this uh, up and down of this uh, chart will uh, reduce, may not go too far down, <laughs> if it goes down very short uh, wave, and uh, stay more, more or less stable uh, until one brings that whole process to an end. Yeah, the other day I said to myself out of nowhere, I don't know